Good morning. We are uh, we're going to finish up this series on family matters or family matters. Depends on how you want to look at it. Um, and one of the things that we're going to talk about today is uh, blessing. And it's not something that we that, that we think about like we like they did in Old Testament. Um, you know, when when Abraham was going to pass on his blessing, um, we we know we kind of know how it works in Isaac with his, and we kind of know how it works, that God makes promises, and they go from one generation to another generation to another generation. At the uh, funeral on Friday, we heard um, Pastor, Pastor Nate Bull, he talked, he talked about that family blessing, um, and that God's promises that he's true and will, be, will show favor to generation upon generation upon generation. Um, do we know what that means? Do we understand the person that is blessing us? Do we see that we are part of God's family? He, he had a family, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and the angelic host. He had a family in the heavens, but when he created humanity, it was so that we would be a family of his on earth. There's more to it than that. But God wanted to be in fellowship. He did not need to be in fellowship. God wanted to be in relationship with his, create, with his creatures, with his creation. Uh, he didn't need it for himself. God is not lacking anything, and God does not change. But we do. And one of the things that God has called us to do is what he's called us to be. He's called us to be his people. And with that, there's some, and I cannot stand this word. Pastor Doug uses it against me quite often. But... If you are a member of God's family, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have been redeemed, you've been bought back from the tyranny of the devil, if you, if you are his, you are entitled to some things. Just like my son, Cameron, when he comes home, he'll be home hopefully in December, um, if he decides that he needs something that belongs to me, um, well, he's my son. So really, what, I, what is mine is his. Now, I'm not going to give him my car for him just because he wants one without having to pay for it. Uh, but, but there are things that, that if he wants and he needs or he desires help, he's going to get it. My daughter who lives in New Zealand and my granddaughter in particular who I've never met. She's 11 months old, never met her. And if she wants anything, she's got it. Um, I can't wait. So they are back in the States someday where I can spoil her, give her candy, get her all hopped up on sugar, and give her back to her mom. That is, that is. So we're going to talk about blessing. Now, we're not going to talk about it in the way of if this, then this, if this, then this. We're going to talk about what, what Paul tells the church in Ephesus. And, and we're also, and we're, it's not going to be on the screen, but we're going to talk about um, what the purpose of the church is according to scripture. There's more to it, but a thing that we often dismiss, and we, we've talked extensively over the last five or six weeks, that the supernatural vehicle that God uses to take his gospel, his good news, his redemptive acts, who Jesus is, God, fully God, fully human, and all that he did for us, there's a supernatural vehicle that God uses to take that message to the world, and that is the church. But there's more that the church is called to do than only that. And we're going to talk about that just after the prayer. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you for who you are and for whose we are. Who are we that you would be mindful of us? Well, 
we're the people you've chosen to take your message, to establish your kingdom, to love one another as we love you, to show the world who you are. Not anything we've done, it's what you've done. Lord, we want to hear more about that today. So we pray, I pray in particular, that that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to receive whatever you would have us see, hear, and receive. And it might be different for each person here. But Lord, if there's something I plan to say that you don't want said, I do not want to say it. But if there's something you want said that it hasn't occurred to me in prayer or study, make it clear to me that it's from you. And I will speak your words to your people today. Pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. Now I want to give you some warning. Um, I'm going to give you a word study at near the end of the message that, that I've done here before. It was five or six or seven years ago. But it's a good, good, good reminder. You're going to see some Greek words on the screen in a few minutes. Um, and because Paul had a hard time, even Paul had a hard time finding the words to express who God is and what he's capable of. So before we get to the things that are going to be up on the screen, I want to read you this. This is from Ephesians chapter 3. It says, his intent, that's God's intent, his intent was that now, through the church, that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known, not to the people of the earth, but to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's more to the church than evangelism. There's more to the church than discipleship. And I don't want to over-spiritualize this. I don't think I can. But I know that Reformed people, we get a little squeamish when we start talking about, we're, we're good on the angelic side of things. We're not great on the demonic side of things. But according to the cosmology, the order of the world, of Scripture, there are demonic rulers, and there's one right here in Zeeland, Michigan. And that thing decides how to tempt, how to lead astray, how to work its deception within the body of Christ and with the perception of the body of Christ. And I heard a sermon last week, not, not two days ago, but, but, but a week ago Friday, a man stood behind this pulpit and he said this, and it just, it, I don't get the Holy Spirit shivers very often, but I got him then. I was sitting right there. He said, when your pastor stands up in the pulpit, no matter who it is, the pulpit becomes a battlefield. Who's the preacher fighting against? You? No. No. Against the enemy and and his minions of God. So God's supernatural vehicle to take the kingdom of God and expand its visible bounds is us. And it's not just the visible bounds, it's the invisible bounds. So God has given us quite a calling, and it's a calling that sometimes we don't think about, sometimes we don't consider. So I'm going to talk to you, I'm going to let Paul talk to you about the, the people we are and the God we worship. But I'm going to ask you this in advance. 
when you think about being faithful, is it mainly about doing good and not doing bad? Or do you have a warrior's mind? Pastor Doug said last week that the world's not going to, our job is not to make the world a better place. Our job is to be the better place. And it killed me because when he said it, I was like, I've been trying to say that for months and I just couldn't come up with it. He said it better than I. But the things of man are always going to get worse. But the things of God will never get worse as long as his people are trying to follow their God. So this is from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 and following. For this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives this name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now, we're going to read more, but I want you to know that when he he says here, that you may have, uh, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints. The word there for power is dunamis. And dunamis is the same word we get the, the, the old Western movies when they were going to blow something up. They're going to blow up a bridge. They're going to blow up a barn. It's dynamite because it, it, it's kinetic. It, it's power that's, that's sealed until there's a fuse or nitroglycerin, you know, when it, it, it's unstable and it just blows up. I watched a lot of Westerns when I was a kid. But, but we get the word dynamite from the Greek word dunamis, which is the word that God, that Paul uses to describe that what, what we have because we're connected with the God of the universe. And then he, he says, I want you to, to, you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how, what, so what's the power for? The, is the power to, 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 to go in, in, into the political realm? I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved in politics, that's not it, but is it to go into the political realm and yell at people until they decide to think like we do? It's, it's, it's the power to know how, how, how long and high and wide and deep is the love of God. And if we're convinced of how great the love of God is, the power that is knowing that love, then nothing can stop us. Nothing. We're, we're immortal. We're invincible until God says, today is the day that you go home. I was talking to a guy the other day, standing right over there, and he, and he, and he said, he, he's like, yeah, we're getting beat up for what we're saying, and you know, the whole culture's turning against us. And I'm like, dude, keep going. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep going. Don't give up. I almost wanted to turn into Louis Gossett Jr. and with, to Richard Gere in the movie Officer of the Gentleman. He's like, don't you do it! And, and he goes, yeah, yeah, the truth is, I got a really good exit plan. And he pointed up. As Christians, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Not anyone coming against you, not anyone uh, accusing you, not anyone being suspicious of you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. That is a blessing that most of the world has no concept of. The idea that God will love me no matter what I do or who I am. He's going to change me. 
He's going to make me the person that he made me to be, and my job is to cooperate with him in that process of sanctification we talked about earlier this summer, but, but there's nothing I can do to shake my father's love, just as there's nothing my son or my daughter or my son-in-law or my granddaughter can do to shake my love. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, and I love the fact that Paul is saying that, we cannot conceive of it, but that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What is the fullness of God? Psalm 23, you prepare a table before me, the presence of my hands, my cup overflows. It's just, just it's the, the uber abundance of it. And then Paul goes and he, and he, he tries to describe what God is capable of. Again, the word dunamis is God is able. Um, that able is the same as power. It's what God is capable of doing. Um, but but he, he, can't, he can't come up with the words. We can't describe our Father in heaven. We can't describe the Son even in flesh. We love the fact that, that Hebrews tells us that we have a God, we have a, we have a Savior that we can identify with that understands our struggles, that understands our hurts, understands our pains, understands temptation, understands uh, the, the devil coming against you. He understands all of it. Jesus, who was fully human and fully divine, we, we, we can, we can kind of get our hands around that. But then Paul says this, and this is something that we quote, it might be stenciled on your wall, it might be cross-stitched in your, in, your, in your bedroom, something like that. But it, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I cannot believe that, that, Paul, that, that how we translated this passage, to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Immeasurably more, just sound, that's kind of like when Paul is seeking out deliverance from the thorn in his flesh. You remember that story when Paul says three times, I asked God to remove the thorn in my flesh. And you remember what God says to him? My grace is sufficient. And we hear that and we're like, it's like, oh, I'm going on vacation and I got a thousand dollars to spend while I'm there two weeks. It's, it's sufficient. We think of sufficiency as just, it's good enough. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying it is unthinkable that grace is not enough. Of course it's enough. It's not only enough, it's more than enough. It's not only more than enough, it's infinitely more than enough. The full, the, filled with a measure of all the fullness of God. And so here he says, it, to him who is able to do immeasurably more. Let's just look at what, what, what all the words that he had to invent to make the word that we translate immeasurably. So the, 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 the two words that we're going to talk about in 320, in Ephesians 3.20 are, it's not two words, two phrases, uperpanta, Uperic periso. So I'm just going gonna, gonna to divide it up for you. Hopefully it'll be up on the screen. Have we got it? Okay. One, maybe not. Okay. Panta means all. This is how Paul developed this. Panta, to him who was able to do panta, all. And then he, and then he puts it, something in front of that. Uper panta. To him who was able to do above all and beyond all. And then a couple of words later he says periso. But that's not how it works in the word because it changes when, it, when it's connected to other things. But uh, it, it mean, perisu means abundantly. So then it's perisu uper panta, abundantly above all or beyond all. And then it's ek perisu. He adds something else to the beginning of the word, more exceedingly. So it's ek perisu uper panta, more exceedingly, abundantly above all. And then it's, or it's, it's ek periso, which is 
exceedingly abundantly above all. And then it's uper ikperiso uper panta. Super more exceedingly or infinitely more exceedingly. So this, this phrase, uper ikperiso uper panta, when you put it all together, it's to him who is able to do infinitely, exceedingly, above all, we could ask or even dream of. That's the God who blesses you. That's the God who made a family for himself, not only in heaven, but here. That's the God that he is able to do infinitely more abundantly above all we, or even, or above all we could think of or even dream of. That's, those are the words that Paul uses. That's the God that you serve. That's the God that wants this world to reflect his kingdom. But it doesn't happen by us telling them what they're doing wrong. We cannot expect people who, who, to, to act as if they follow a God that they do not know. But his people do know him. Therefore, his people should behave as if we are blessed by a God who is able to do infinitely more abundantly above all, we, above all we, of things we could even dream up. That's the one who says, I want you to declare the manifold, which means the all-encompassing, multifaceted wisdom of God to my enemies, the ruler of the air in Zealand, in Ottawa County, in Michigan, in the Midwest, in the, uh, this, side of the, this side of the Mississippi River, all of the United States of America, all of Western civilization, and to the ends of the earth. That's the God, and that's the call that you and I have, and it was a blessing to have it, because what, what, is, what are we that God would be mindful of us? Who are we that he would choose? Would you do it that way? If you were the God of the world, would you choose ordinary people to do extraordinary things? I don't think I would, because I know I'm not trustworthy, and my guess is that neither are you in carrying out God's mission day-to-day, hour-to-hour, minute-to-minute. That's not an accusation. It's just an acknowledgement of total depravity. We are flawed, but our God is not. And just like Isaac, Abraham handing off his blessing to Isaac, Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, and on down the road, it's the same with David. We could go back to Adam. The curse we inherit but God intervenes through the manifestations of the curse to bless. And to bless, quite literally in Greek, not Hebrew, but in Greek means to say good things about. And if God speaks, it is. Even his name, I am. I just am. And so if God says, be blessed, if God says good things about you, good things become. So when you say the blessing before a meal, what you're actually, what we're supposed to be doing, it's not necessarily our practice, but what we're supposed to be doing is telling God who he is. We're supposed to be saying good things about God and thanking him for his provision. What we do is we ask God to bless the food most of the time. Okay, that's good, especially if you're eating pizza. Lord, please bless this pizza so it does not do the harm that I know it's created to do. But to bless God is to say good things about God. And you can only say good things about God. But when God blesses you, he says good things to you, in you, for you. And here's the part we miss. 
through you. I'm going to tell you a little story. And there's a lot of names in here, so I don't usually use specific notes. But um, there's a kid years ago, Andor Foldes. I'm sure I'm saying it wrong. He was 16 years old. He was already a very skilled pianist. But he was experiencing a troubled year. And in the, midst of, uh, in, the, in the midst of the young, he was from Hungary, this young Hungarian's personal struggles, one of the most renowned pianists of the day came to Budapest. His name was Emil von Sauer. He was famous not only for his abilities, but he was also the last surviving pupil of the great Franz Litz. Von Sauer requested that Foldis, the young 16-year-old troubled Hungarian boy, this, this master, this world-renowned master, asked Andor to play for him. So Andor Foldis obliged with some of the most difficult works of Bach, Beethoven, and Schumann. When he finished, Von Sauer walked over to him, and he kissed him on the forehead. My son, when I was your age, I became a student of Litz. He kissed me on the forehead after my first lesson, saying, Take good care of this kiss. It comes from Beethoven, who gave it to me after hearing me play. I have waited years to pass on that sacred heritage, but now I feel you deserve it. Just a blessing. It's just a kiss on a forehead. And it's not something that we would do in the, year, in the, in the, in the, in the world of COVID, but you see the metaphor, right? That if God has poured out extraordinary blessing on you, the one who is able to do infinitely more abundantly above all we could ask or even dream up, the one who is going to fill your cup with overflowing, even in the presence of enemies. The one who is willing to go to leave, to, to, to leave what was rightfully his and then decided to not, to not hold on to being omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. Philippians 2. He decided that it was holding on to the equality that was God was, was not something to be held on to, but for the moment to become made in human likeness. Taking on the nature of a servant and going and being obedient to the Father, even to death on a cross. Why? For his sake? No, for yours. To bless you. To give you everlasting life. And to give you a mission the mission that was already his that he, asked, he invites you into. There's something glorious about that. And that God who kisses your forehead and says, this comes from me. I've chosen you because I've made you worthy. Then asks you, us, to kiss another forehead. To pass down not only to your children, and grandchildren, and great-grandchildren, the blessing of God, but to take that blessing to enemy territory. Because not only is the pulpit a battlefield, so is your life. And we get confused. We flip through in Ephesians just a couple of chapters later. We get confused and we think that that, that politician or that news channel or that person or that movement, that's our enemy. 
But our enemy is not against flesh and blood. No matter who, how you stand politically, the person that you don't like on the TV, the, per, the party that you don't like, they are not your enemy. The one deceiving those is the enemy. And how you live, who you are, how you respond instead of react, actually pushes forward the visible kingdom of God in the invisible realms. You're a colonel, or a major, or a captain, or a sergeant. Maybe a private or corporal, I don't know. But you are a soldier fighting a battle that God has called you to fight. And the way we do it is to bless not to curse. Let me read this passage one more time. I'm going to read from, from Philippians 3, and then we'll just read through the rest of this thing, but I'm going to use the translation here in a second. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, according to His eternal purpose, which He accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives this name. I, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in, in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do infinitely more abundantly, uper ekperiso uper panta, to, be, to do immeasurably more than, we could, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. One last thing. To him be glory in the church. So he made us, and he wants us to glorify him. You know what glory, the word glory, doxa, means? It means weight. Not weight, W-A-T, W-A-I-T. But substance, the gravitational pull, he wants, he wants to put his glory on us. But the way his glory comes on us is for us to glorify him. And the way to glorify him is not just to sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But it's every minute of every day to be praying continually. Every minute of every day to be living a life that's worthy of who he has already made us to be. It's to recognize that our Father is the one who makes us who we are. We are the family of God, and his people have been blessed beyond measure, and God has filled us to the measure of all the fullness of God, and he's called us to not only declare his truth and his gospel to the seen world, but every time you do not sin, every time you do something hard, every time you do what is right, every time you show honor and respect to another image bearer of Christ, every time you do it, 
You take power away from the ruler of the authority of wherever you live. You're a warrior. And that is indeed a blessing. See, I told you this idea of blessing wasn't going to be what you were thinking. But it is the purpose that God has declared for us. Not me, not Doug, and not just you or you or you. Us. We are the family of God. And family matters. And we are the supernatural vehicle that God has chosen to declare the manifold, the all-encompassing, multifaceted wisdom of God, not only to individual persons, not only to a culture, not only to a state, not only to a world, but to the things that we cannot see. Because we should, the world tells us we should do what comes natural to us. But God's call is for us to do what comes natural to him. We are a supernatural people. We're ordinary but we serve an extraordinary God. And I don't know what the future holds, but I do know the one who does. And he is trustworthy. He has never changed. He's never made a mistake. And he has never, I'm going to do it, he's never broken a promise, ever. So if you think that he's given up on us, repent. And if you think God is unfaithful, repent. But if you know that you've been the one who's given up on God or has been unfaithful to God, same thing. Repent. The beauty of it is that when we confess our sins to the Lord, he is faithful and just and will remove our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Gone are your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, says to God, for I have bought you back. Oh, what a blessing. Let's pray. Almighty God, to you who are able to do uper ek periso uper panta, infinitely more abundantly above all we can ask or even dream of. Lord, you, you are a God so beyond us. And forgive us when we make you more like us instead of participating with you and you making us more like you. Remind us that it's not, it's not that we're supposed to make the world a better place. You love the world, but we're supposed to be the better place. We're supposed to be the better people. We're supposed to represent who you are because we are your family. Help us, Lord. Live faithfully and fill us to the measure of all the fullness of God so that we can remain faithful and we can live your wisdom in the world around us. We pray this in Jesus' name, through the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen.